not long before Dietrich Bonhoeffer was taken out and shot by the Gestapo for his defense of the gospel and speaking out about injustice, he said this, step out beyond anxious waiting and into the storm of events. I'll just repeat that, okay? Step out beyond anxious waiting and into the storm of events. Some of you have to step out beyond anxious waiting and have pending hospital treatment over a long period of time. Some step out beyond anxious waiting and into the storm of events of very strained relationships. Poor Adam Roberts who phoned me this past week to say that his engagement to Ruth is off and he's very sad about that but thinks it's the right thing to do. They've booked the wedding and the reception and sent out the invitations. And one or two folk here have even bought presents. Step out beyond anxious waiting and into the storm of events. In a sense, in a very almost superficial sense, that's what we have done. Uh, on Monday, Easter Monday evening, Hannah and I w went to the church. One last look before the builders just couldn't resist doing it. And it looked terrible. It's like a bombed zone. Everything was taken. Everything stripped away. Just an empty shell. Now, after over 34, 35 years, one is allowed to be a bit sentimental. But that's not the church. That is not the church. It's where the church meets. We are the church. And God is calling us to step out beyond anxious waiting and into the storm of events. And he is more than able to help us. So what I'd like to do this morning from that reading is to give two verses in their entirety and say five things. Five essentials for this period of change. Change and transition periods are always a challenge. Maybe unsettling, unnerving. Maybe we're ill at ease. Equally, some saying, what an exciting time. This is really going to be good. Let's hope there are more of us in the latter than the former. But it's a process for all of us. So, let's look at 1 Corinthians 16 and verses 13 and 14. We'll narrow down the sermon to those two verses um, and consider this. These are five essentials for this period of change and transition. Essentials, if you like, that will help us in our Christian life as well. What is interesting here is that the Apostle Paul is writing to this church and it has one big, big problem. 
It has many remarkable gifts, and it's lively, and it's, it, it, it's quite extraordinary. But it has internal division, and it's fragmented. And yet, with its fragmentation and its division, he is able to say these five things. I'm not suggesting that we are a, a, a fragmented or a divided church. We all have opinions. We are human and we are different. And often those differences are a strengthening thing, not a, not, not a weakness. So in verses 13 and 14, they should challenge us and encourage us personally and collectively as a church. It's to do, if you like, with, with the expansion of the gospel. In other words, here are these people, they have come to faith in Jesus Christ, and the question is posed by Paul, now what are you going to do? What's going to happen in your life? How are you going to prove the grace of God in all of the varied experiences that you are going to encounter? In other words, it's a challenge to start well and to continue, to keep on going on. That's the essence of, of the challenge for us personally and collectively. Now, just look at all five. Now, interestingly, from the reading, uh, verse 13 and 14, the first four points or challenges have a military ring about them. Do you see that? Look, be on your guard. You're on guard duty. Stand firm. You're on sentry duty. Be men, generic term, be a people of courage. And then finally, the fourth, be strong. Now you take those four things back with you into your home, into your, into your, into your work, into your marriage, and into our church, then I'm sure this will enable us to keep on going on. And then the fifth and the last one is as a little sort of caveat, a qualification to all of it, and how important it is to everything in love. So it's quite remarkable, isn't it, that uh, Paul should speak to the church like this. So let's have a look at these, and we'll move through them very quickly. Four military commands, and one supreme qualification. Whatever you do, be sure you do it in love. So first of all, verse 13, be on your guard. Or, Another term, if you've been on the motorway at any time, you will see from time to time, because of, of the accidents that take place on the motorways uh, in our country, from time to time they put a sign up. And the sign says, Tiredness kills. When I was in, Hannah and I were in Glasgow to church, we went to 40, 45 years ago. Um, they invited us back. They had a big extension, a bit like what we were doing. Um, and the service was all ready. It was a bit more formal, a Presbyterian church. And one of the elders came up to me and said, I, I want you to pray for this family. And I said, well, and, uh, who are they? He said, this is um, the aunt of a girl who was going from Glasgow to Inverness to her friend's wedding. She had a very busy week. And as she was traveling, momentarily went to sleep and went into a park law, he was killed instantly. Now you think of the impact of that with a friend who's asking, why didn't she come to my wedding? Tiredness kills. 
tiredness kills. That's an extreme example. It's good to pull over. It's good to take some rest. It's good to be refreshed. Indeed, that's what the Lord's day is for us. A day to be renewed and to be refreshed. Stay awake. Be on your guard. Of course, sleep deprivation is a form of torture. We need good sleep, healthy sleep. The rest of the weary is sweet, the Bible says. But time and place, be on your guard. Stay alert. Keep a grip on priorities. Think of where we are at the moment and, and how we think about growing and changing, which is the overall theme that we're going to pursue in the next couple of months. It's a fact throughout the whole country that growing churches always have a parking problem. Dying churches don't. Growing churches plan for the future. Dying churches worship and live in the past and keep saying, if only. Growing churches will move out in faith and dying churches operate purely on a human level. Dying churches relive nightmares. Growing churches keep the fresh wind of love blowing. And you see the challenge, be on your guard. Be on your guard. The second challenge, moving a bit quicker, is this. Be courageous. Be courageous. Be people of courage. It does take courage to stand against the crowd sometimes. Not always. In a, in a culture of cynicism, in school with our young folk, to say that you're a Christian is a big, it's a big challenge and it takes a lot of courage. So we are challenged here in this verse to become a people of courage. What does it mean? It means are we prepared to grow up? Are we actually prepared to change? This is the constant, if you like, apostolic emphasis on these people. In, in this fledgling church, will the church survive at all? And the challenge is stand. Stand in the faith. You notice in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, uh, one, look at 1 and 2. But it says, now brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you have taken your stand. You see that? They were, I'm sure they were a different and diverse a group of people as what we are this morning. But they had taken their stand on this gospel. And it had done something to them and in them. And look at the next verse. This great resurrection passage which inspired Handel with his great oratorio. What is it? By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I have preached to you. Otherwise you've believed in vain. And then there's the whole issue of the resurrection. So we're to stand and we are to be courageous. I think it, in a period of change and transition, it calls for more courage. It calls for more courage. 
think for a moment of the change that comes in family life, what sometimes is called the, the empty nest syndrome, where the children have been the key chemistry and dynamic in relationships, and now they're no longer there. And what it calls for is courage to change. It's right, isn't it, with the children? Let them go and you'll have them. Hold on to them and you'll lose them. It takes courage in family life. It takes courage in married life. When the changes are brought in terms of health and unemployment and finance and the stresses and strain of life, be courageous. In difficult times, it takes courage. The Christian life is one of constant crisis. It's the life of change. And in given situations, we need to stand back, brace ourselves, and take courage. I think I told this story once before of uh, an American who was coming to do theology in London. And all the way... On the flight, he was anxious. Is he doing the right thing? First time he's left home, it's a long way to go. Guidance, is this God's will or is it just what I want to do? And all of his thoughts were going on this flight and had gone on for months before. And so he arrives in London. He's in Liverpool Street and he's on the escalator coming up into Liverpool Street, that big concourse. And all this is going through his mind as he's carrying his suitcase. And then he sees a big sign, massive sign. And it said, Take courage. And he says, thank you, Lord. At that point, he didn't know it was advertising English beer. You know, well, American wouldn't know it was English beer. So, do you see, from the lesser to the greater, if God can speak to somebody by promoting beer, can he not speak to us by, through his, his word, the Bible? Surely, from the lesser to the greater. And there are times when that's all that we can do. Take courage. Take courage. And hold on. So there you are, be on your guard, stand firm in the faith. Be strong is the next one. Be strong. Not self-reliant. Not dig deeper. It's not like that. It's to be strong in the Lord. So that you are facing situations where you would have to say, if it were not for the Lord being with me, I wouldn't have made this. I want to be strong in the Lord, not in myself. An inner strength that comes from his Holy Spirit. This is not Rambo religion. It's a religion of a relationship rooted in the grace of the Lord Jesus. Are we strong enough to handle criticism? It's a tough call. Are we strong enough to handle unfair criticism rather than become Inwardly insecure. Be strong. Secure enough to harness the most difficult situation or the unfair criticism, either about you or somebody else. And take it to God. And to cultivate. What I want to call now uh, is a, a team spirit. It's so easy for us to become inwardly fragmented and divided, ill at ease with ourselves. And that's why this challenge comes here like this. Be strong. 
Be strong in situations that are very trying. Be strong in situations where you really don't know what the outcome is going to be. I want to read something to you that rings in a different way and see what you think about this. So in the context of being on your guard, standing firm in the faith, being courageous and being strong and being inwardly at peace with yourself and with the Lord. Team spirit. If I can speak in the jargon of team ministry, and if I can recite all management principles perfectly, yet, if I lack team spirit, my words are hollow and carry no weight. And though I have vision and can set objectives, solve problems, and analyze situations, yet if I am not motivated by team spirit, I achieve nothing. And though I spend all my time and energy on behalf of others, and indeed burn myself out in the course of my efforts, yet if I do all these things outside of team spirit, no one benefits. For team spirit listens. It is patient and forgiving. It's not boastful, forceful or ambitious. Team spirit believes the best of others. Team spirit wants the best for others. Team spirit brings out the best in others. As for all the management gurus, one day they will be silent. You may say, thank God that they would be. As for all the latest team techniques, soon they will be out of date, obsolete. A team, a church, a family, a marriage, a team depends on commitment, motivation, and team spirit. No team can survive without these three, but the greatest of these is team spirit. One of the things that people ask when they want a reference, almost invariably is this, is she, is he, a team player? The church is for team players, with team spirit. Because when you're a team player, you are saying, I need to change more, not other people. And when you're a team lover, you say, I need to love more. Not just other people. Of course, you know that this has been a change from 1 Corinthians 13. So popular, and rightly so. Team spirit. Paul can say these things to a divided church. But now we come to the last big heading. The thing that seems to wrap this together. And it's this. Do everything in love. What a difference that makes. In any context, do everything in love. And so verse 14, that's what it says. 13 and 14, do everything 
in love. It's the love factor. It's the thing that can so easily be missing. What is all this without love? What is it? Nothing. Nothing. What do we have to show for it without love? Nothing. So 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 3 goes like this, and you're familiar with it, aren't you? If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels that have not love, I'm only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal, and so on and so forth. Without love, nothing. Nothing. Of course we need the right methods. Of course we need a clear vision. Yes, we need a definite strategy. Of course, but without love, nothing. So, we are being called to step out beyond anxious waiting and into the storm of events with the love of Christ. And with that we can do all things. Do everything, everything in love. So let me close. Without love, you won't be alert or discerning, but narrow and suspicious. Without love, you won't be secure, but isolated and critical of others. Without love, you won't be balanced or live within a sort of tension zone where you're weighing things up all the time, but become intolerant and divided. And little wonder the Lord Jesus, as the acid test to his disciples with the pending crucifixion, was, Now I give you this command. And he links it to love. Just as Paul does. That we're on our guard that we stand firm in the faith, that we are courageous, we are strong. And we are issued with a mandate to love. To love. By this will all people know that you are my disciples. You have this kind of love. And that gives us the essentials, if you like, the, the, the vital ingredients for a period of exciting change and transition. And through this, maybe we'll, we'll have cause to look back in eight or nine months' time and say, yes, where was I in, in this whole area? What about those five things? How real are they? Which ones do we need to work on a bit more? And if you're not sure, have the courage to ask somebody else, in your home group particularly, where there's a mutual sense of trust and accountability. One supreme feature to identify Christ's disciples is to love one another. Do everything, but everything in love. That's our challenge. Let's pray together. Just to take uh, a moment to personalize this. To ask for God's grace 
and forgiveness, and once more to drink deep from his love. For without the love of the Lord Jesus, all that we try to do is in vain. Lord, would you hear our prayers now? Forgive us in times when we have been lacking in love. We are so preoccupied with ourselves that we have forgotten about the legitimate needs of others. Lord, it is so easy to fill our lives with stuff, good though they may be, that somehow we lose sight of you. And so we pray that you will help us now as we make our own inner journey into our own hearts and lives. Come again to us, Lord Jesus. As you had an encounter with Thomas to dispel the doubt that we might say to you, My Lord and my God, And for each of us on a personal level, Lord, would you help us, move us on graciously as we come to you and we thank you and we take to heart that we would want to do everything in your love for your glory. Amen.